Luke chapter, Luke chapter 17 this morning. And we are looking at the kingdom. And let me bring up my notes here. But, uh, Jesus talked a lot about the kingdom. And one of the reasons why Jesus talked a lot about the kingdom is because Jesus was king of this kingdom. And uh, Jesus told uh, uh, his disciples, he told Pilate, if you have your Bibles, let's look at John chapter 18 for a second. Uh, John chapter 18, Jesus uh, told Pilate that uh, these words in verses 36 and 37. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I am a king? And for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth and everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So we're going to be talking about the kingdom over the next um, eight weeks. And what our role, what our responsibilities as citizens is to be in this kingdom so that we can not just survive, but we can thrive in the environment that God has us in uh, here on earth. But Jesus talked a lot about the kingdom because he was a king. Another reason why Jesus talked a lot about the kingdom is because this was first and foremost on Jews' minds. I mean, they were looking for the Messiah, the Messiah who was going to come, who was going to conquer. They were tired of being dominated by their enemies. And uh, we spent five weeks uh, in the book of Lamentations uh, talking about some of the domination that was, was occurring. And the reason was because they were disobedient. They were rebellious uh, of the word of God. That was to protect them and to bless them. And so the Jews were longing, longing for the Messiah to come and to conquer their enemy. And the third reason why uh, we're looking at uh, the kingdom over the next week, next eight weeks, is because the instructions that uh, Jesus has given us. You know, when we became citizens, when you became a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, you weren't given a bus bus ticket to sit on a bench and just wait for the bus to come uh, pick you up, so that you could spend all eternity with God in heaven. God's given us a role. God has given us responsibilities, and we're going to be looking at that. But uh, what Jesus did tell us, but before he went back to, to the kingdom of heaven, it was in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, which are synonymous terms, the kingdom is to be our highest priorities, priority as believers in Jesus Christ. 
So we're going to be looking at the kingdom, and this morning we're going to be uh, discussing some of the confusion that has come uh, in 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 talking about in uh, in um, learning about the kingdom. And the question we want to ask and answer this morning is: Is the kingdom present, or is it future? And the answer to that question is yes. It's both now and it is yet to come. And so I want us to look uh, first at the already part. And so going to Luke chapter uh, 17 this morning, we're going to start with verse 20. <clears throat> Jesus said this, Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. So when Jesus is answering the the Pharisees' question here, uh, He's, he's correcting a misunderstanding because they are, they are looking for the obvious. They've been longing for the obvious that, uh, uh, the Messiah is going to come physically and he's going to set up his kingdom here and now and their, their enemies are going to be, um, defeated. And they get this, um, image, uh, from the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is clear about this. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. And let me just read verses 3 through uh, 7 this morning. Isaiah said this, You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. He's, he's referring to uh, the nation of Israel. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden, the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken, as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling, the tramping warrior in battle, tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of the peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will be this. This is what the Pharisees were looking for. And Jesus corrects them in chapter 17 of Luke saying, it's not going to be obvious. It's not going to be like Isaiah has described in Isaiah chapter 9. Oh, it's coming, but it's not here in fullness, and it's not being consummated yet. This is the inauguration. 
then we see Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Daniel chapter 7. And this too is a profound, uh, important image that uh, the Jews are looking for, the Pharisees are looking for. Verse 13 says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And this is what the Pharisees are looking for. And they're wondering, is Jesus, is, is, are you the king? Are you the Messiah of this kingdom? And Jesus in chapter 12, chapter 17 is saying, listen, I'm that guy in Daniel chapter 7. I am the son of man. But I am not coming as you anticipate and as the Old Testament describes right now. First, I am coming as a suffering servant. And we see that in Isaiah chapter 53. And uh, Isaiah 53, it's a profound hint, hint of, of Jesus coming as a suffering servant to begin with. But but in that hint, it is um, the volume level is uh, is overwhelmed by these other prophetic passages. But Jesus is saying, "I am that guy." Guy, look at verses twenty four through twenty six of Luke chapter seventeen. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. You need to circle Son of Man. This is how Jesus was one this is one of the favorite descriptions of of of, of Jesus himself was the Son of Man. The fulfillment of prophecy in Daniel chapter seven. But but verse twenty five says, But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation just as it was in the days of Noah. So will it be in the days of the Son of Man. Jesus is saying it's not coming like you think it is. But know this, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is in your midst Verse 21, I am he, I am your king. But for the Pharisees and for many, they couldn't see it. They were completely blind to who Jesus was because they were longing for the interpretation of the Old Testament and there were, their hearts were hard to the person of Jesus. I mean, who's this Jesus guy? I mean, Jesus was born of illegitimate means. He was an accident. He comes from Nazareth. No one good can possibly come from Nazareth. 
And so they were hard to the person of Jesus. And when Jesus was casting out demons uh, in Matthew chapter 12, uh, the Pharisees would say to them, who is this person? He's Beelzebub. I mean, he's not of God. He's of Satan. And yet Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 12, verse 28. He says, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. I do these things because the kingdom of God is in your presence. I am able to do these things because the kingdom has come upon you. Jesus is the king of this kingdom. And he inaugurated it in his first coming. But Jesus goes on to say that even though it's in your midst, it's not yet going to be fully consummated. Going back to Luke chapter 17, beginning with verse 22, Jesus says this. And he said to the disciples, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there and look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. He's telling not only the Pharisees, but he's telling his disciples, it's now, but it's also not yet. Because the Son of Man is going to have to suffer. And there's going to be a time, disciples, that you're going to long to see the visible uh, return of the Son of Man. And you're not going to be able to see this in your lifetime. And Jesus goes on in, in Luke chapter 19. And he shares with the disciples a kingdom parable. We're not going to go there and read it right now, but you can write down Luke chapter 19, verse 11. And he tells a a kingdom parable. He says that uh, the, the king is going to have to go away for a period of time, for a long period of time before he returns. And so there's confusion. Is the kingdom now or is the kingdom later? And yes, the kingdom is now, as Jesus describes in Luke chapter 17 and Mark chapter uh, 13. But also the kingdom is yet to come because of Jesus' parable in Luke chapter 19. He's going to have to go away, but just as assuredly that Jesus came the first time, just as assuredly that Jesus told his disciples that he must suffer and die and be resurrected from the grave, that is just as assured that Jesus is going to return. But in hearing that message, it was definitely confusing. And it's confusing to believers uh, even today. But it left 
of those in the New Testament during Jesus' time hot and bothered. We've talked about the Pharisees, but uh, but there was John the Baptist. John the Baptist, the, the, the spokesman for the Messiah who was to prepare the way of the Lord when John was in prison, about to be beheaded. He was confused about the person that Jesus said he was. And he sent his disciples and said, Jesus, are you the Messiah or are we to be looking for somebody else? Because it's not turning out the way I anticipate it turning out, Jesus. And so John was, John was confused. The crowds were confused. Some would hear Jesus' words and they'd want to toss him off the cliff. There would be other people who'd want to crown him king. Pilate was baffled about who Jesus was. You're, you're a king of the Jews and these people want to crucify you? It left the disciples confused prior to the resurrection. Between Easter and the resurrection, uh, there was confusion. There was hopelessness. This isn't how they had anticipated turning out. And what was driving all these thoughts and this perception of who Jesus was, was the promises of the Old Testament. His promises of him becoming the Messiah and setting up his government is crystal clear. And it, it overwhelmed the promise of Isaiah chapter 53, that the servant must first come and suffer. But know that the Messiah is going to win. He is going to set up his kingdom. But in this in-between, Jesus gave us some more parables in Matthew chapter uh, 13. In Matthew chapter 13, we see the parable of the sower, we see the parable of the wheat and the tares, the mustard seed and the fishing net. Uh, some in t- insights as to what this, uh, this kingdom of God is going to be like in the here and now. Uh, the mustard seed parable is very insightful. Uh, Jesus is describing the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God as a mustard seed and it begins very small, but it's going to grow into something that uh, is is going to be a blessing to the whole earth. And we see that as we wait for Jesus' return, we see the kingdom of God growing and expanding and pushing back darkness in every region of the world. Yes, there's tribulation. Yes, there is persecution. But in that persecution, it's like throwing gas on fire. The, the kingdom, the gospel continues to spread out. So it's like a mustard seed. But then 
the kingdom of God is also like the parable of the sower. You know, if you, you read the parable of the sower and the different soils and the gospel that's proclaimed, it, it has a 25% success, success rate. Okay? Uh, it's only in the fertile soil, it's only in the the prepared soil that the word of God is going to be planted, the, the word of God is going to grow. And the other three types of soil, um, it's, it's either um, choked out by the cares of this world or it's stolen by uh, the enemy or uh, if the, the ground is just too hard and cannot penetrate, doesn't have the ability to be a, a, a planted. And so that's kind of defeating. And then you see the, the parable of the wheat and the tares and the, and the, the fishing net. And uh, as you read those parables, um, what we see there is that there is both believers and hypocrites, lost people, growing up together. And who is of the kingdom of God and who is, who's the hypocrite? And sometimes it's difficult to tell. And so as you look at uh, Matthew chapter 13, describing today, it's kind of a mixed bag. So as we go through this kingdom series and what our role and responsibilities to be, uh, first question for today is, uh, is this, you know, what are we to do with this information? So what? How am I to live my life today based upon the fact that the kingdom is now and yet not yet? Well, number one is this. Don't be surprised by suffering. Jesus told his disciples in Luke chapter 17 that the Son of Man was going to have to suffer. Let's go on and read verses 26 through um, 33. Jesus says, Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day of the Son of Man, when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on his rooftop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. We need to be prepared for Jesus' return. We need to be prepared for suffering. 
Jesus says that we need to hold on to our possessions loosely. You know, Jesus, when he came the first time as king, he didn't come to be served. He came to serve. He had no possessions. He held on to what was his very loosely because it wasn't about him. It was about others. Jesus came to serve and to be the ultimate sacrifice for our sin and a relationship with God for all eternity. And that's how he wants us to live our lives. When we come into his kingdom as his citizens, we need to hold on to our possessions loosely. We're we're not going to have time to go back and retrieve whatever's in the house. We, We don't have time to look back and long for what we're leaving behind like Lot's wife did. And she turned to into, into a pillar of salt. It's about looking forward and anticipating his return. We, we can't afford to preserve our life and our things and be caught off guard in our current suffering. Jesus is telling his disciples... I'm going to have to suffer. The kingdom is in your midst, but in a short time, I am leaving you. And before I leave, I am going to have to suffer. And if Jesus, if God the Father allowed his son to suffer for us, why do we think that God would spare us from suffering? Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17 that I read to the children this morning. That if they hated me, Jesus said, they're going to hate you. If you live according to the truth, if you live in the environment that I've put your put you in, if you live in Christ and depend on his word and stand on his word, you're going to, you're going to suffer. You're going to be misunderstood just like I'm misunderstood. While Jesus tarries, while we long for his return, we need to prepare ourselves for suffering. And for us to survive, we have to live according to the truth of what the word of God says. This is our oxygen. This is our sanctification. This is what sets us apart and allows us to thrive in this environment is the word of God. And as we stand for the word of God, oftentimes there are consequences. As I was uh, preparing for this message this week, I, I read a an article in Baptist Press that um, made me really sad. 
and I found it very disturbing. Uh, you may not know Russell Moore, Dr. Dr. Russell Moore. Dr. Russell Moore is the um, the president of the Ethics and Religious Liberties Commission. That is a that's that's a branch, that's an arm, that's an entity of uh, our Southern Baptist Convention. And uh, his office, he represents Southern Baptists in uh, in Washington. <clears throat> and his office is there. And uh, if you know anything about Dr. Moore, he was rather outspoken on this last election and who evangelical Christians were enthusiastically embracing. And, uh, and I don't agree necessarily with everything that Dr. Dr. Moore says, but he was, uh, he was rather critical of, um, of the election. Uh, he's, he's, uh, been critical of, um, the current immigration policy that, um, our government has, has adopted. And, and I'm not going to say that, uh, he's totally against it. Uh, again, you've heard me talk about this, that there needs to be prudence when it comes to who we allow to come into this country. But, um, but there are some Southern Baptists who are, uh, infuriated by Dr. Moore's comments. And they don't believe that Dr. Moore is representing, uh, Southern Baptists well in Washington, D.C. And there are some, um, there's at least one major church in, in Texas that's, um, that contributes approximately a million dollars annually to the cooperative program that they're withholding their cooperative program right now and, and reevaluating their relationship with, uh, with Southern Baptists and primarily, um, the organization that, uh, Dr. Moore represents. And, uh, you can read about this on, on Facebook. And the sad part is, um, there are Southern Baptists who are um, who are very vocal, very ugly about Dr. Moore and the position that he's taken. And then there are other Southern Baptists who uh, are proud of the stand that Dr. Moore has taken. And uh, yes, Dr. Moore is doing the right thing. And you're probably wondering, well, Pastor, where do you stand? I stand with Dr. Moore. More importantly, I stand on the word of God. As believers in Christ, we are not to in, to clothe ourselves in the American flag. Our first allegiance is not to the American flag. Our first allegiance is to the Christian flag and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, that doesn't mean I'm anti-American, anti-patriotic. No, not in the least. But again, my citizenship, your citizenship, is not in this world, is not in the United States of America. It is in the kingdom of God. That's where our loyalty is. 
is to be. And when we stand on the word of God and 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 believe and live according to what the word says, sometimes it conflicts with our American patriotic values. I understand that. But that is where our allegiance is. It is in the cross of Jesus Christ. And when you take that kind of stand, expect suffering. I don't know what's going to happen in our denomination right now. As you know, money speaks. And I don't know how much of an influence this is um, going to be in Dr. Moore being able to continue in this office. But I want you to know, church, Dr. Russell Moore is a very good man, godly man, and he is standing for the word of God. And I am very saddened by how some are treating him publicly. Jesus says, expect to suffer. When we stand for the word, not everyone is going to understand us. And second, how we should live is we need to be prepared for Jesus' return. Don't Jesus says, don't be caught off guard. We don't know when he's coming back. But we need to hold on to the things that are in our, in our possession loosely. And we need to anticipate his return. We need to be prepared. Are you prepared? <clears throat> um, it's been an interesting week up in Northern California, hasn't it? With the Oroville Dam, you know, just uh, this last Monday, people people were told to evacuate. The dam was about to collapse, and you know, everybody tried to get out of Dodge at the same time. And uh, what a nightmare that was! And they didn't have time to uh, gather stuff. They just had to get up, get out, get out, get in their car, and, and leave. And it was a huge, it was a huge mess. And then a few days later, what are they told? Oh, you can go back home. It's it's safe now, but be prepared just in case. Oh, yeah, thanks. I'm going to be able to sleep well at night and have to relive that experience all over again. But I'm sure as they've uh, gone back that um, that word prepare, be prepared, has taken on new meaning. And they've probably had to do some serious evaluation as to what's important and what's not important. Church, we need to go through that same kind of evaluation process. What matters most? What's the priority? Jesus told us what the priority was, is seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things 
will be added unto you. We need to be prepared. And you might be thinking, well, well, pastor, Jesus told the disciples to be prepared. They probably got prepared. Well, but we're waiting on Jesus's return. And now it's 2000 years later. Seriously, pastor, should we really be prepared for Jesus's return? Could he come back at any minute? Frankly, I, I find that to be a waste of time. And I just want to share with you this morning, it's, it's not a waste of time to be prepared. I've had a lot to bury a lot of people over my 35 years of ministry, uh, serving as, as a pastor. And I want you to know that there is a huge difference between those who have prepared themselves for Jesus' return and didn't see it and those who didn't prepare for Jesus' return. Huge. I mean, there is night and day difference between the people who attend those different services. For those who have have prepared themselves but didn't see the, the Lord's return, those who know that person, who knew that person, they're full of peace and confidence and reassurance because of what the word says and because of the person's life. They know exactly where that person is. They've passed, they've passed a lake of godliness to the next generation and the generation beyond that. as they lived a life of preparedness. But then I've been to other services. They were just living for the moment. They had hard hearts. They didn't give God the time of day. They didn't see the Lord's return either. But in those services, there are people in that service they haven't they haven't been they haven't received a legacy of blessing from that person that's entering in that service many people in that service there are expressions of hopelessness of disillusionment you try to share the word of god with them they can't even make eye contact with you because they just can't relate to the message. Those who were prepared, those in the audience, there's eye contact. They're shaking their head. Yes, Pastor, you're right. I know. I've experienced this. I've seen this person. It's good to be prepared. You're not wasting your time. And God can make a huge difference in your life if you will choose to believe in who Jesus said he was and is. He is the king.
And this king came the first time not to be served, not to bark orders, but to get a towel and serve others. Wash feet, love people where they're at, and then make the ultimate sacrifice that he didn't deserve of dying a death that we deserved, taking on the punishment that we deserved. And the way you can prepare yourself for his return is by believing in who Jesus said he is. And when you believe, in you go into a brand new environment in Christ, in the person of Christ. And the word of God is your oxygen. It is your lifeline in living well and preparing well for his return. Jesus says, be ready. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. May that be your desire. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Thank you for truth. Thank you for the people who've gone before me who were prepared even though you didn't come. God, they didn't waste their time. God, may we not waste our time. May we live our life in such a way that people who are in our service, honoring our life at the end of our days, have the faith, the confidence, and the peace of knowing exactly where we are if you tarry, God. Lord, I know that there are some in this service that their lives are not in your kingdom right now. And God, they're hurting. And God, you know all this. And you, you died for all the mistakes that they've made. God, you love them more than they love themselves. That love is farther and deeper and higher and wider than our minds will ever comprehend. And God, by faith this morning, I pray that they would call on you ask that you would save them. Lord, help us to be good citizens of your kingdom first and foremost. God, I pray for our denomination. I pray for our convention that pastors 
who see things very differently right now, that God, that they would, they would go back to the word of God and they would pay attention to what the word says and not what the constitution says. Unify us, Lord, as a church, as a denomination. Help us to do your will. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.